It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, Psalm 120. I just want to give you a little overview of where we're heading. On Saturday mornings for Daily Thunder, uh, we're going to be taking these next 15 weeks, and we're going to be walking through the Psalms of Ascent. And so every week we're going to be looking at uh, these 15 Psalms, and uh, so today we're going to be focusing on Psalm 120, and then basically we've taken the Psalms and kind of split it between all the staff, and uh, so you'll be hearing from a bunch of people these next few weeks and walking through these uh, wonderful Psalms of Ascent. So again, if you have a Bible, Psalm 120. <clears throat> Before we actually get into the passage itself, I just want to kind of give you an overview of these Psalms of Ascent. Uh, it's interesting that within the Psalter, the, the books, uh, or the, these, these Psalms, these songs of praise and worship, these 15 Psalms kind of show up. And it's interesting that when you look at the Psalms of Ascent, the reason they're called the Psalms of Ascent is because these were the Psalms that were sung as people were going up to Jerusalem uh, during the feasts. And so, because, you got to get this idea, uh, Jerusalem sits on a mountain, it's on this hill, and so no matter what direction you're coming to Jerusalem from, you always have to go up. And so, throughout scripture, a lot of times you'll hear this language of, let's go up to Jerusalem, right? So, the idea is that no matter where I'm coming from, I always go up. And so, this idea of the Psalms of Ascent, so as I'm ascending the mountain, right, these are the songs that were memorized, uh, these are the songs that were spoken and sung as we're walking our way up the mountain. Does that make sense? Now, these psalms, they go from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And I just want to give you a quick overview of the psalms themselves. And then I want to look specifically at Psalm 120. <clears throat> but the psalms of ascent, um, four of them were written by David. One of them was written by Solomon. Ten of them are unknown. In other words, they're just anonymous. And of those, uh, of the 15 psalms, four are laments. For example, the one we're going to look at today is a lament. So we're going to be wailing together. Right? And, and, and a lament is not just there's no hope. It's not that kind of idea. The, the, a lament is just there is this such a travesty or this issue or this pain or I'm seeing this problem and it just causes my soldiers to be, oh, I am I'm broken and I'm wailing and I'm asking God for deliverance. It's, it's kind of that kind of an idea. Uh, so, so four of them are laments. Seven of them, seven of them, are what we would call hymns, or they are songs of praise, that they're looking at the nature and the character of God, and they're just like, wow, God, you are so awesome. I wish I got one of those. <laughs> I get a lament. <laughs> uh, but so four laments, seven are hymns or songs of praise. Three are wisdom songs. Uh, in other words, they're all about the wisdom and talking about the fact of, uh, of, of the beauty of wisdom. So it's kind of harkening to this idea of like the book of Proverbs. And then one of them is considered a royal psalm, and I have no idea what that means, but when we get to Psalm 132, whoever has that one will explain that to us. But it's called a royal psalm. Obviously spoken by King David, so I'm, I'm presuming it has something to do with royalty. <laughs> Obviously I didn't look that up last night. But uh, again, <clears throat> as, the, uh, as, the, as these Israelites were coming to Jerusalem on the festivals, uh, these, are the, these are the songs that they were spoken and sung in the sense of remembrance on the way up to Jerusalem. It's also interesting, uh, some of the scholars reference this fact that the Psalms of Ascent may also refer to the fact that uh, the steps that lead into the temple in Jerusalem, there was 15 steps. 
And when you look at the Mishnah, which is like the official Jewish commentary for the, for the law, when you look at the Mishnah of the Jews, it references the fact that the steps leading into the temple are, there, there's one step for each of the Psalms of Ascent. So there's probably something going on there. But it's interesting that a lot of these were written before um, that whole thing was taking place. So all that to say, we don't fully know uh, the layers of this. But it seems like there were pilgrim songs, in other words, uh, the festival kind of things. seems like there's something about the whole fact of the, the steps. And as I'm walking up into the temple where the very presence of God is, that there's this idea of remembering and walking through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, there's that idea. Uh, it's also interesting that the Psalms of Ascent are typically read during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, uh, which is that, that holiday that uh, it's in the fall. They're, they're celebrating the fact that God was with us all throughout the wilderness wanderings and the fact that here we are in, living in tents, but God's presence was there and he's helping us in the middle of this wandering, which then again goes back to this idea of emphasizing that pilgrim language. So you've got to get this idea <coughs> that the Psalms of Ascent is this, I'm traveling toward something. Well, what am I traveling toward? Jerusalem. I'm going up the mountain. I'm, I'm heading somewhere. And what is that all about? The, the place where God dwells. So you've got to think about this in context really quick. In the Old Testament, <coughs> God's presence lived, dwelt in the temple. Right? It was it symbolized in the ark. Uh, the ark dwelt in the middle of the temple, the Holy of Holies, that kind of an idea. So when, you're, when we're going through these Old Testament psalms, talking about the fact that, oh, I long for Jerusalem, and oh, I, I'm longing to go up to the mountain, you realize the yearning is not so much a location. It wasn't their time, because that's, that's where God's presence was. So in context, it's not just, it's not just a location. It's, it's a picture of the very presence of God. Does that make sense? That the yearning is not just, oh, I just want to be on top of a mountain. It's not like that. Oh, I want to be on top of Everest. It's not that kind of, an, that's not the desire. The desire is on top of that mountain is where God dwells. And what I'm yearning for is that. So you recognize that in a New Testament context, what we are desirous for is not a mountain, a physical mountain. Right? And we're not desirous even though, hey, I love Israel and I, I love Jerusalem. My desire is not so much a location, a physical location, as what that is symbolizing here, which is the actual presence and intimacy of God himself. Which we recognize that in the new covenant, because of Jesus, God has now come to indwell us, and now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we're walking through these psalms, I, I just want to freshly remind all of us that we're not just talking about a physical location, and woo, isn't Jerusalem awesome? Hey, let's go take a trip, which I'm open for. But hey, let's go take a trip. That's, that's not the emphasis of the psalm. The emphasis of the psalm is, hey, do you, know, do you know what I'm interested in? Do you know what my passion is about? Here I am a pilgrim, and I'm wandering around. And as I'm journeying, I'm longing for this place. What's the place? The presence of my God. Which we now, as Christians, don't have to experience in some location. We get experience because he's come to indwell us. So we got to keep that in context. Does that make sense? So even though we'll be talking about Jerusalem, even though we're talking about climbing up the mount, even though we're talking about all that kind of stuff, the emphasis, yes, that's this context, that's important to recognize, but when we take this context and apply it into our practical living now, we're, we're not talking about a location, uh, some place in Israel, we're talking about the very presence of God himself, because that's what the picture was. Everyone good? Everybody awake? I know it's early. 
All right. Psalm 120, if you have your Bibles. <coughs> uh, psalm 120 uh, is actually, it's actually an interesting psalm. What I want to do is I want to read it, and I want to kind of give you some structure, and then I want to start walking through it. So here's Psalm 120. It's a song of ascents. Uh, it's anonymous, by the way. We don't know who wrote it, but this is what Psalm 120 says. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from, the, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I have sojourned in Meshech, or that I have dwelled among the tents of Kedar. My soul has long lived with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, if, <laughs> if you were like me, I read that and I was like, what on earth? I'm like, why did I get this one? You know, I'm like, <laughs> like of, all the, of all the psalms, like give me one that ends in like, oh, and God's so good. This one ends, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Amen. <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> anyway, I just think that's hilarious. <clears throat> uh, again, the song, or the psalm is a lament. Uh, the psalmist, and actually I think it's fascinating that this is the one that starts the, song, uh, the psalms of ascent. Because if you think about what's happening, he's, he's dwelling on the fact that he's been living somewhere else. He's been living in these places of what he calls uh, Meshach and Kedar, that he's out there somewhere, and he's this pilgrim, and he's wandering, and he's looking for a refuge. He's looking for a place. And he's lamenting the fact that here he is, he's surrounded by a whole bunch of people of what he calls lying lips and a deceitful tongue. That here they're pressing all around him. And what does he long for? Peace. And I actually think it's really interesting at the very beginning of the Psalms of Ascent, there's this yearning of, hey, I've been wandering in all these places and I've yet to find what my soul is craving. But I know what I'm looking for. Peace. Where is that found? In God himself. So where am I going to have to go? Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the place of peace. By the way, isn't it interesting that the name Jerusalem, Jerusalem, actually means the place of peace or the dwelling of peace. It's the city of peace. Now, <laughs> if you think about modern culture, it is not the city of peace. It is like anything but peace, right? I mean, we have three major world religions that are confined for that location, and yet the name itself is the dwelling or the city of peace. So, I th again, I think it's interesting that at the very beginning of the Psalms of Ascent, the yearning of the psalmist is, I, I've searched all over the place, and I get to find that which I crave. Now, uh, I just want to give you my structure of this psalm. In other words, as I was walking through this, <coughs> it seems like there are three kind of major sections of the psalm. Uh, the first section, at least how I'm dividing it, is uh, verse 1 is its own section, and I'm calling it the past remembrance. And, and we'll walk through these a little bit more in detail here in one second. Uh, so, verse 1 is the past remembrance. Verses 2 down to verse 4, I'm calling the plea for deliverance. And then verse 5 through 7, I'm calling the pursuit of peace. And I think if you just see it even through that grid, this, this will start to make more sense. So, let's walk through this. Uh, verse 1 again is I'm calling the past remembrance. <clears throat> verse 1 says, In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. 
it's interesting that this whole psalm is in the present tense. The whole psalm is, God, I'm smack dab in the middle of the situation. I'm asking for deliverance right now, except for verse 1. In verse 1, it's like the psalmist is turning to his history. He's turning to his past, and he says, I, I remember something, that in my distress, I have cried out unto the Lord, and he heard me. He came and he rescued me. There was an answer, and he, de- he brought deliverance. So isn't it interesting that despite the circumstance that he might be in presently, the very first thing he does is he doesn't say, God, I'm in a problem, help me. He reminds himself of God's trustworthiness. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness. He reminds himself of the fact that, that God is a God of provision. So he turns to his past and says, God, in my times of trouble in the past, I have called out for you, and you have always delivered me. Hey, I always called out to you, called out to you in my distress, and you've always brought an answer. So when he comes into the plea of verse 2, he's basing that plea upon the fact that he can trust who God is and what he's done in the past. Can you do that in your life? See, isn't it interesting that so many of us come to God and just say, God, I've got a problem, but I'm not sure you can handle it. Hey, God, I've got this situation. Do you, do you think you might be able to do something in this, in this situation? God, have you seen my checkbook? Hey, God, have you seen my family? God, have you seen the students that are left here? (laughs) Or whatever it may be for you, right? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Right, so so we we turn to God and say, God, I, I I don't know if you recognize this, but there's a problem. And so oftentimes we actually have more confidence in the strength of the problem or the enemy than we do in the strength and the power of our God. But wouldn't it be interesting, before you, before you started telling God your problems, wouldn't it be good to remind yourself of the character and the nature and the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of our God? See, wouldn't it be good to say, oh, my God is actually able to handle any situation. There's actually nothing going on in my life that is either taken him by surprise or that he can't handle. Why, he's able to handle everything. So I love what the psalmist does. He's about to get into the issues, but he says, before I even do that, God, I just want to remind myself that in my distress, that in my problems in the past, I have cried out, and you've always heard me. Hey, you've got to know in your life that that's true. That the God to whom we love and whom we worship loves you. And any time you call, he hears. Hey, when you knock, he answers. Hey, when you seek, you will find. Now, that doesn't mean you get the answer you want. That doesn't mean the solution, you know, disappears and goes away. That doesn't mean it's a microwavable solution. That that doesn't mean you're not going to have to tarry and go through consequences because that's all true. But you recognize that in the middle of my struggles, my God is faithful. In the middle of my difficulties, God is still there. In the middle of my, my pain and my issues, I can trust him to walk me through this. And then if he's not giving giving me a solution that I think is possible, then maybe he has something greater in, in store. Hey, God, will you heal me of the sickness? And if I'm not healed of the sickness, does that mean that God's weak and he can't bring healing? No, but it does mean he obviously has a greater purpose in playing with my sickness. And we'll talk more about this throughout the semester, but that's really important to recognize that um, Eric calls it the uh, two-sided ticket. That if if you get this ticket and you're like, whoa, 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 it's a no. Well, yeah, but God's no's, if you flip over the ticket, is so that he has a greater yes. 
that, that if, he, if he hasn't healed me physically, or hey, he hasn't dealt with my finances, or man, I'm still having to go through this thing that's been here for, for ages, maybe it's because he's training you up into something, or maybe it's because there's a greater revelation of his purpose and his glory that you get to experience. So we're so short-sighted at times. But you've got to trust in the character and the nature of our God. That word distress, by the way, in my distress I cried to the Lord and he heard me, that word distress, really fascinating, has this idea, it's a, an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. In other words, this kind of distress is whatever problem you're facing, that's included in distress. So if it's physical, if it's mental, if it's social, if it's economical, then hey, pfft, that's included. And God can handle it. Isn't that encouraging? Oh. So that's verse 1. So again, in verse 1, the psalmist is looking to the past and he's remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of our God, which I think is really important. Now in verse 2, down to verse 4, uh, there's this plea. And this plea is a plea of deliverance. Now listen to verse 2. The psalmist says, speaking to God, and again, based on who I know you are and, and what you've done in the past, verse 1, the psalmist says, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. There's this cry of, God, I, I am surrounded by lying lips and a deceitful tongue. And, and you recognize that whole idea of lying lips and a de deceitful tongue has this whole focus on falsehood, on deception, on a perversion of truth. That there's all these things surrounding me and, and they're trying to gain my attention or they're trying to push their reality upon me or, or they're, they're trying to, to deceive me and, and they're, they're trying to pull and they're, they're trying to change and they're trying to, in other words, the reality that they're pressing upon me is not, is not truth. Now, I don't know how far to push all, push all this, but you realize that would be the culture that we even live in. And I'm not saying everything's lies. I'm not saying everything's deception. But isn't it interesting when you look at the culture? All of culture is based on a fundamental lie. That I don't need God. That I can satisfy myself. That, that in and of myself is everything sufficient. That I can seek pleasure outside of him. That whatever I want, I can have right now however I want it. That I, I can use and abuse the people around me because that's what I deserve. And you start to recognize that it's not a quote-unquote, okay, there's maybe not one lie that we're all believing. That's not what I'm saying. But it just seems like the whole undercurrent of the world system is a lie. Why? Because it's ruled and operated by the father of lies. So whether you want to see this as words, oh, I'm surrounded by people who are actually lying to me. All right, that, that would be included. But I think you could even take this beyond that and say, I'm surrounded in the midst of a culture that is just has a whole different philosophy than what I than what I actually want and need. That I'm surrounded by darkness, and what I need is light. So here's the psalmist saying, God, deliver me from all this lying lips and deceitful tongue stuff. Which you recognize is more than just what comes out of a mouth. That's included. But it just seems like it's all that culture stuff. And culture's not evil, I get that. But, but when you look at the world system, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's full of lying lips and a deceitful tongue. And the cry is, God, deliver me. Now, that word deliver has this idea of, uh, I love this, to free from bondage. 
So here I am. I'm in captivity. Here I am, enslaved. Here I am, in chains. To what? The lies. God, you've got to get me out of this. Uh, that word also has this idea to save uh, or to deliver or to rescue. Now, I don't know about you, but here we are as a culture, and we are trapped in the culture. Our thought process is all about the culture. We're just wrapped up in darkness. In fact, Jesus in John 3 is, is looking at Nicodemus and says, you recognize that this world is full of darkness, and men loved darkness more than light. In fact, the light was offensive to them. So what do they do? They turn from the light, and they embrace their darkness. What is that all about? This stuff. It's lying lips and a deceitful tongue. That we are just consumed. We love our darkness. We just love this, this lies that we build our lives upon. That we, we just love this. Well, yeah, I know that sin doesn't satisfy. I know that, but I still want it. Why? Because it makes me happy, even for a moment. Well, why would you want that? Yeah, but I, it's mine. I want to live for myself, and I want to be selfish, and I want to be, why? Because it makes me feel good. You recognize all that's a lie. And Jesus says, men love darkness. They were, over, they were unconditionally loving their darkness because their deeds were evil. That were just wrapped up in this. And the psalmist is in that kind of a culture saying, God, you've got to get me out of this. I'm enslaved to this. That I am so pressed in around this. That, I, that the culture is just so overwhelming. That God, I'm just, I'm trapped in the middle of this. God, you've got to bring freedom. So rescue me. Deliver me. Save me. Free me from this. Don't you need that? Don't you want that? Now, it's interesting as you get into verse 3 and verse 4, the psalmist is actually giving kind of the commission or the, uh, he's saying, God, deliver me. But then he kind of says, not just free me. I want you to do something to that lying lips and a deceitful tongue. In fact, you even see it in verse 3. It's that false tongue language. Now, here's, here's, what I, here's what's interesting. I was getting to verse 3 and find out that the language of verse 3 is, the, is this pattern. It's this verbal pattern of an Old Testament oath where you come into an oath with someone with the result being, if I break the oath, I experience the wrath of God. Let me, let me explain that. Verse 3 says, what shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? So the psalm then says, oh, false tongue, you, you lying lips and a deceitful tongue, what are we going to do with you? And he uses a language that was prevalent during the time of the Old Testament to say, hey, when we're an oath, if you break that oath, God's wrath will come upon you. Uh, and, the, and the typical, let me just give this to you, the formula of that language was, may the Lord do this, X, and more also... If this happens, for example, uh, Samuel is a little, little boy, and he's living in the temple or, or the tabernacle uh, in Shiloh. This is fascinating. He's not a Levite, and the indication in 1 Samuel is that he's sleeping in the very Holy of Holies. It's just really fascinating. It's awkward. And uh, so here's Samuel, and he's, he's sleeping in the presence of God. And Samuel hears this voice, Samuel, right? So Samuel wakes up, runs to Eli, who is the high priest, the guy who's kind of overseeing the judge thing, and he says, hey, what do you want? And Eli goes, nothing. Go back to sleep. I didn't call you. So Samuel goes back to sleep, and as he's asleep, he hears Samuel, right? And so he runs back to Eli. Eli, what do you want? 
And Eli's like, dude, go back to sleep. And of course, you know, Samuel's this young kid. And he's just like, you're hearing things. Just go to sleep. Finally, Eli gets the picture. Maybe God is speaking. So he says, Samuel, and the next time, next time the voice speaks to you, say, oh, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. So Samuel's sleeping, and he hears, Samuel. And he goes, ah, what do you want? And God tells Samuel, hey, here's what I'm going to do, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what's going to happen to Eli's sons because they're evil, and, the, you know, this is what's going to happen in the, in the days to come. Morning, morning arrives, and Samuel comes to Eli, and Eli goes, what did God tell you? Now Samuel does not want to tell Eli, which makes sense. Uh, God's going to destroy your sons, and the whole king, basically all of Israel is going to be pulled from you, and you're going to die, and things are going to be great, <laughs> you know? Obviously, Samuel doesn't want to say that to Eli. So Eli looks at Samuel and gives that same oath. He, he gives this verbal language of saying, look, you're going to tell me. I demand it. In fact, if you, don't, if you don't tell me, may God's wrath come upon you. Now, that's intense. But, but listen, this is uh, 1 Samuel 3.17. Uh, Eli says this. Again, it's, it's oath language. He says, do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he has told you. In other words, Samuel, I'm commanding you. Tell me. And if you don't tell me every single word, may the Lord's wrath be upon you. That make sense? Now, bring that into our passage. Here's the psalmist looking at these lying lips and a deceitful tongue, and he says, you know what? God, you've got to free me from this. And Lord, that needs to be removed. So he's pronouncing, he's asking God for vengeance. He's saying, God, destroy the lying lips and the deceitful tongues. But it's interesting to me that he's using oath language. He's using the language of the Old Testament to talk about the fact that, hey, God, you've got you to gotta bring this thing down. Hey, God, you just got to destroy. Bring your wrath and destroy the whole thing. And he uses that same construction. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? So there's this yearning, not just for deliverance, but for the destruction of that which he needs deliverance from. Now, the psalmist gives a suggestion. In other words, God, here's my, here's my opinion. Here's what you should do. You want to bring wrath down upon this stuff? Hey, God, you want to destroy this stuff? Here's my, here's my thought. Verse 4. Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Simply, what, what the psalmist is saying is, do you know what should happen? to lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Do you, know, do you know what should happen to all that that is consumed and distracted and has become foggy? God, like a warrior, would you really take a sharp arrow and just hit the heart of it? Bring it, bring it down. Do, don't, don't let it move around. Just kill it. And then it says, with coals of the broom tree. Now, some scholars have said that maybe what it's talking about is flaming arrows. So God, don't just hit it with an arrow. Hit it with a flaming arrow, which sounds a lot cooler. Or you could have this idea of God hit it with an arrow, the sharp arrow, and just like heap coals of the broom tree upon it. Now, the broom tree is really fascinating. The broom tree grows about six and a half feet, seven feet tall, has wide branches, so it's great to sit under in the shade. Uh, for, for example, uh, Elijah found himself under the broom tree and was seeking shade as he, when he was hiding and running. But what's interesting is the broom tree uh, it grows down, in the, Geb, grows down in, the, in the desert area, and it was often used for firewood because the wood burns longer than almost any other kind of wood. 
the coals of the broom tree, the coals themselves, can last for days, sometimes even weeks, and there's been reports of maybe even up to months. I mean, this thing just, it just has this kindling. And there was a constant burning, constant fuel, constant. So if you can imagine what the psalmist is saying, God, I, I'm surrounded by this, by this darkness and the lying lips and the deceitful tongue. Hey, would you free me? Would you rescue me? Hey, would you set me free out of this whole thing? Not only that, God, would you, would you destroy? Hey, and will you just give vengeance on this whole thing? Will you shoot it to death? And hey, not only that, but will you heap these burning coals so it's just they're, they're living in this agony of fire and torture? Now, that's intense. So it's not just, hey, God, will you, will you get me out of my situation? This is, hey, God, you, you've got to change this whole thing. In fact, make it miserable. Make the whole lying lips and deceitful tongue. Just, just get rid of it. Just make it miserable. Just judgment kind of stuff. Now, he comes into verse 5 through 7, uh, which I'm calling the pursuit uh, or the pursuit of peace. Now, listen to this. Verse 5 he says, woe is me. Now, again, every time you see the word woe in Scripture, uh, woe in Hebrew has this idea of woe, right? Uh, you, you see something clearly, and your response is, uh, kind of I think, woe. It's like behold. It's like, ah, uh, kind of a thing. I don't know if that makes sense. But here's the psalmist, and he's looking at his life. So, He's been staring at God. God, hey, I know your faithfulness, and you are so good. Here I am, trapped in the middle of these lion lips and deceitful tongue. You've got to get me out of this. In fact, you've got to deal with the lion lips and deceitful tongue. And then it's like he looks and goes, oh, I've got a problem myself. Woe is me. And he says, I have sojourned. I have literally lived. I have participated. I have settled in Meshach, and I have dwelled among the tents of Kedar. Now, Meshach here... Uh, Josephus tells us that, uh, uh, that Meshach is in Eastern Asia, in Cappadocia. And it's interesting, uh, in Ezekiel 32, Ezekiel describes the people of Meshach, and he says, uh, There are Meshach and Tubal, and all their multitudes, with all graves around it. <clears throat> all of them are uncircumcised, slain by the sword, though they have caused their terror in the land of the living. So who's these Meshach people? They are some foreigners, uncircumcised, bringing terror to all these people kind of people. And he says, hey, I've been, I've been living among those kind of people. He says, not only that, but I've dwelt in the tents of those of Kedar. Uh, Kedar was the second son of Ishmael. So you remember Isaac and Ishmael? The second son of Ishmael was Kedar, and all of his descendants after him were the Kedarites? I don't know, I don't know how you say it. But anyway, uh, but, you know, the people of Kedar. And what's interesting is in Isaiah uh, 21, verses 16 and 17, Isaiah is talking about these people of Kedar, and he says that they are warriors and archers whose glory is about to come to an end. But you have this idea that here is the psalmist, and he's been, he's been a pilgrim. He's been traveling through this land, and everywhere he's going, all he's seeing is destruction and people who are causing terror and, and, and all this might, but it's all unfulfilling. It's all lying lips and a deceitful tongue. In fact, as you look down in verse 7, they're all for war. So here they are, they're speaking these words of war. He's wandering in a place where the words are war and who are speaking, seeking, to, to, they're speaking and seeking slaughter and destruction and just, I'm all for war and I'm all for the deception and I'm all for the, and that's the culture that he's been living in that he's seeking refuge from. That makes sense? And it seems like even in the context of the passage, it's actually less to do with the actual places Meshach and Kedar. It actually seems like he's just talking about the fact that 
I, I am, I'm in a place that is actually not where I'm supposed to be. So what am I seeking? He says, oh, uh, my soul has long, verse 6, my soul has long lived with those who hate peace, but I am for peace. That I, I'm just, I, I, gotta ha- I gotta get out of this. I, I, I gotta find that which my soul is yearning for. Well, what is that? Peace. Now, it's interesting that word shalom for peace doesn't just mean peace as you think. I think peace, I'm thinking like a beach on the Bahamas, a cup of lemonade, you know, with a good book, and I'm just, I'm hearing the ocean waves crash, and I'm like, oh, I am at peace. And that probably is included, but that's not really this idea. Uh, the idea of peace here has this idea of, yeah, peace, but more the idea of wholeness. Uh, it has the idea of wellness, or being settled, or... Maybe my favorite idea is it's a removal of enemy faction. In other words, that which has been causing chaos has been removed, and now there is peace. Now, you may still be surrounded. There may still be craziness on the outskirts, but there's rest on the inside that you can be calm. Uh, The storm seas may be churning, but you know you have absolute refuge in this ship, and it's not going under. See, what you do, you relax. See, there's, there's not that tension of soul there's a calm that there's a peace even if you're fully surrounded by enemies so think about what the psalmist is saying i've been i've been wandering around all this time i've been searching for something my soul longs for i've been and i'm I'm recognizing that here i am i'm in bondage to lying lips and a deceitful tongue i'm in the middle of this darkness that everyone is just everyone is just pulling on me all, all of this chaos is swirling God, you've got to get me out of that. In fact, will you bring this chaos down? Just, just get rid of it. Destroy it. Because I'm surrounded by people whose, whose words are all for war. They're, they're seeking slaughter and destruction and deception. But what I want is peace. Now, for the psalmist, where is that found? Jerusalem. The city of peace. Where is he going? I'm going up the mount. Why? Because I'm seeking peace. Do you realize you don't have to go to a mountain to find peace? Because the one who is peace has come down from the mountain to indwell you. That's a cruel thought. I I love Ephesians 2.14. Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus, speaking about Jesus, Jesus is our peace. You recognize that Jesus does not give us peace? He becomes our peace. That's completely different. See, if, if Jesus just gave us peace, it's like Jesus is over here. He, he, hands, he hands me this pill called peace. I take the peace, remove from him, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm experiencing peace. That's not how God gives us peace. Do you know what God does when he gives us peace? He gives us himself. And he becomes our rest. He becomes our wholeness. He becomes that which settles us. He is that, he is the protection, the buttress in the midst of the chaos. So I could be surrounded by the enemies, but smack dab in the middle, I can, I can have rest and peace. Why? Because I'm in Christ. And he is peace itself. So when you look at the psalm, <coughs> I, I want to take that and apply it practically into our life. Really quick. So here's some, here's some practical things. So it's just not doesn't say head, head knowledge. How do we apply this into our life? Uh, I don't know what it is that you're facing. 
I don't know what it is that you're going through or what you're struggling with or, or what your finances and what your family may look like. But if it feels like it's heavy and oppressive and you're in chains, or as the psalmist would say, lying lips and a deceitful tongue, if it just feels like there's, there's all this pull on you and distraction from you and it's just, do you realize there is deliverance in that? That you don't have to keep wandering in this muck of a world. I mean, we're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. Or maybe better said, you may be in the world, but the world doesn't have to be in you. You, you realize that we can actually be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That we don't have to be pushed around by lying lips and a deceitful tongue. That, that we don't have to be controlled by the darkness and the, the deception and the death that surrounds us. That we can actually be light and life in the midst of a dark and polluted world. And that the cry that say, God, will you deliver me from this? In, act, in actuality, he has, if you'll just embrace it. So regardless of your circumstance and your situation, would you allow his deliverance, which is all about Jesus and the cross, would you experience that on a whole nother level? But you recognize that it's all coming back on the fact that you've got to know who your God is, verse 1. Hey, w- would you recognize that the one who is, who is able to deliver you is faithful? He is trustworthy. He will keep his word. He will not let you down. He is promised, and he cannot lie. And you, you recognize that because of his character and because of his nature and because of who he is, then when I ask him for deliverance, when I ask him, ask, ask him for the rescue, when I ask him to set me free from the bondage of these lying lips and the deceitful tongue that I'm surrounded by, you realize I, I can trust the fact that he's, he's doing that. Why? Because he's promised. So again, I, I don't know what it, what it is or where you're living practically in your life, but my guess is we all need some sense of deliverance. We all need some sense of rescue. Because you recognize that salvation is not just, not just a one-time deal. I mean, it is. I am set free from the powers of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his, of his dear son. But every single day I need deliverance. Hey, every single day I need salvation. Don't you? No, it's not what we would call big-ass salvation. That, that happens once. I'm set free from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. But you know just as well as I do that hey, there's stuff in front of me today that I'm going to have to face. And there's going to be trials and temptations and, and difficulties and pressures and people. And So what do I need? I need his deliverance. I need his salvation. That if temptation comes knocking today, I don't go, well, I, just, I guess I'm going to have to face this one on my own. No, I, I need his deliverance in that moment. So am I placing my life, my hope, my trust in him? Am I seeking his salvation? Am I seeking his deliverance? Because I know who he is and all that he's wanting to do. And maybe a different kind of a question is, have I experienced his peace? Is the yearning of your heart that intimacy? Is that yearning of your heart that pressing in to experience the reality? I'm not just, oh, sit on a beach and have a glass of lemonade and, oh, hear the, hear the waves crash, which does sound blissful on a day like this. But beyond that, this idea of he is my wholeness, he is my safety, he is my refuge, he's the removal of every enemy faction in my life, that yeah, the world may be going crazy, yes, I may even be surrounded by enemies, 
but I have a refuge in him. In the middle of this, I can actually, I can relax. I can be peaceful. I can just, there's a calm. There's a rest. I can sleep well at night. Why? Because I just, I have him. And he is my peace. Have you experienced that? Not just in theory. Have you actually experienced that? Because he wants to be that in your life. Well, pray with me. Jesus, Lord, thank you that in our distress, you're always faithful to answer. And even when it doesn't look like the timing is right, we know that you are still in control and that you have not abandoned us and that you are smack dab in the middle of every issue and every problem and every circumstance. But Lord, we do pray that in these times you would deliver us from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. The Lord, that the, the world that we're just in, which is so built on a lie, it's, it's everything against you. That I can find satisfaction outside of you, that there's life outside of you, that there's pleasure outside of you, that there's hope outside of you. Lord, all that's a lie. Because this is all from you and through you and to you for your praise and for your glory. This is all about the centrality, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That my whole life is to be given unto one thing, which is you. And Lord, the world is yelling in my ears, saying, live for yourself. Hey, this is, hey, take care, guard, protect, secure. Hey, don't trust in God's provision. Hey, you can do this yourself. Come on, pull, up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, what would it look like for me just to rest in you? To experience the peace of you. That you have become my deliverance and my hope. That you are my safety. You are my security. You are my success. You are the essence of my very living. And Lord, like this psalmist, we have all wandered. We have sojourned in this Meshach and dwelled in the tents of Kabar. And we've lived in the lands that are set against you. We've lived in the place that, or we've wandered in these places where they're all about war. That they speak of slaughter and deception. And Lord, what we're yearning for is peace. Not some abstract concept. Lord, we're, we're yearning for you. For you are our peace. You are our wholeness. You are our refuge. And Lord, I pray for all of us that, that somehow you would cause us to yearn more for you. That despite our circumstance and our situations, God, I pray that we would find refuge in you. That, Lord, if we are being surrounded by these lying lips and a deceitful tongue, that, Lord, that we would find silence. That you would, you would silence those words. That you would literally pierce all of that with an arrow. That you would literally heap burning coals upon them. And you would silence the voices that are trying to distract. And that we would hear one voice. We'd have one focus. We'd have one passion, which is you. Lord, thank you that you are our peace. That we don't have to travel somewhere, climb some mountain to find peace. But you, who dwell our lives, have become our peace. Lord, what an amazing reality that we have as Christians. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.